Testing, there we go. Good morning. Thank you for being here. My privilege to lead you. Pay no mind to this pulpit. I retired and our pastor put Starbucks in instead of a pulpit, so I lose no opportunity to tease him about that, that he brought Starbucks and replaced the pulpit. I had a really nice pulpit, (laughs) but I'm old and he's young, so I thank you for taking time today to share a memory of Richard Weston Jr., to add your shoulders to bear the weight of grief. I'm well acquainted with grief. I know grief. I've had loss in my own life, much loss in the last uh, decade. A brother, mom, dad, wife. So I know about loss. And the only way that I've survived all that is from many people standing alongside of me and encouraging my heart. So thank you for coming to stand alongside of Richard and you, his friends, to stand with one another. My prayer is that the comfort of the Holy Spirit will find you um, and that you will be blessed by the promises of the word as we explore them together this morning. We remember Richard Allen Weston Jr., who was 48, who passed away on October 31st, 2022, at his home in Kutztown, Pennsylvania. He was born October 22nd, 1974, the son of Richard Allen Weston and the late Rebecca Weston, survived by a daughter, Haley, and Uncle Wayne, and Aunt Bobby Joe, and cousins. And you will find on the back table, courtesy of his dad, who has dotted every I and crossed every T, a newspaper that has also an obituary in it if you are able to stay at the end of the service, and we hope that you will. This by request, a song that the family would like played, I encourage you to reflect. Interestingly enough, it's a Beatles song. I encourage you to reflect as it plays, and we'll continue the service. Okay. My clicker's not working. All right.
St. Paul writes to us, We do not want you to be ignorant of those who have fallen asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. For this is what we read in the gospel from Jesus. For I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. A challenge to our faith perhaps in our rational age but the promise of God nonetheless that though we grieve, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. I invite you to bow your heads. Father, in these moments as we remember Richard, as we ponder life, as we think about eternity, as memories flood our conscious mind, we offer it all to you. You're the one who sorts things out, Lord. You're the one who makes sense of life when it makes no sense to us. May your eternal purposes envelop our thoughts, bringing comfort and clarity. For we pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope and our redeemer. Amen. And now the song by the Beatles. That was Cat Stevens. <laughs> Liz, you're up. If anyone else here would like to offer a tribute uh, after Liz offers this on behalf of Richard's father, you're more than welcome to come up and do so. I know people love to do that, but <laughs> sarcastically said. Morning. Richard's favorite poem was Robert Frost, A Road Not Taken. And I like to think this is how he lived his life, on his own terms. He was kind, loving, generous of heart, with a quirky sense of humor, which is a bit of an enigma because he wasn't always kind to himself. 
I first met Rich when he was a young teen. I was driving my son Jay home from school when I saw Rich a few car lengths ahead of us ride his bike off the road. The bike went up in the air one way and he went up in the other. And I quickly noticed no one stopped. And I said, did you see that? Is he okay? My son laughed and said, he does this every day. <laughs> and he did too. Um, and he did for the better part of the school year. That's what I saw every single day, him, him, him flying his bike in different directions. And it was hilarious. This was my first encounter with his sometimes bizarre sense of humor. <laughs> Soon he was coming to my home and he and Jay forged a close friendship. They shared boyhood adventures, sleepovers, birthdays. Rich and his parents took Jay to his beloved farm, which at the time belonged to his grandparents. He often remarked he would one day like to live there. As time went on and he grew into his late teens, I was confident to stories of girls, driver's licenses, school, and dreams for the future. One day, tragedy struck in our family with the death of my son. Even at his young age, he was right by my side to comfort me and did all he could to get me through those dark days. Honestly, I don't think I could have made it through the grief without him. In time, new memories and life events came. When my youngest son, Kyle, was born, Rich was his godfather, standing right here in this very church. I remember as he nervously told me about Sue and how he wanted to ask her to marry him. Soon, he and Sue married, and a year later, Haley was born. He and Sue honored me by including me to witness the birth of their daughter, he was so in love with Haley, and fatherhood truly brought out the very best in him. As time went on, sadly, his marriage did not. He spoke often of regret in not having spent more time with Haley, but was always so very proud of her and her accomplishments. Through the years, even in his own pain, he never forgot special days and acknowledged them with a visit or a phone call. He was very much a son to me and I a second mother to him. So goodbye, my friend. I've been beyond lucky to have you in my life. And you will live forever in the hearts of all who loved you. Thank you. Thank you, Liz. Rob? It's a big building. Okay. You know, in all honesty, I had this really nice speech written, and um, I left it at work. So this is typical fashion of Rich and I. We don't always just wing things. We just go and have fun and do things. The type of guy he was. Uh, Rich was my best friend. He was a friend everybody wanted to have. He was a friend that was always honest with you. Told you how it was. If you didn't want to hear it, he told you anyway. He was a guy that you always wanted to hang out with, whether you, you were just playing video games, whether you were helping him out and doing yard work, whether you were just you needed to move, whatever you wanted to do, he was there. I would go years and years without seeing him, but I'd always hear from him. We'd always talk. And it was always like we were hanging out yesterday. Um, my childhood was memories of Rich. Hmm. Yeah, my childhood was memories of Rich and Jason. It was a great childhood. I often talk to my kids about it, how I wish their childhood was more like mine, how we didn't sit around, how we always went out and we always did things. We just explored. We got lost places. We just, we'd go around, we'd skip school, Rich and I, and uh, we'd always drop Jay off. <laughs> he would always get so mad at us because we wouldn't let him come with us. But uh, we'd skip school, we'd drive around, and we'd get lost for hours. Sometimes we'd even know how to get home. We spent more time trying to get home than we were getting lost a lot of times. Um, 
And this was almost every day. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we got through it. And like I said, later on, him and I got an apartment together. We sit there every day. We work together. We live together. And we never got tired of each other. We'd always laugh. We'd always find something to do. Um, and then after that, we kind of separated for a while. Rich went along, got married. I went along, lived my life. Um, he had a beautiful daughter, you know. He also talked about her to me. Always had a smile. Always, always would kind of light up whenever he mentioned her. And that was great. That made me smile a lot. Um, like I said, I, I don't know. I don't know what else to say except for he was a great guy. And I'm going to miss him. So. Thank you so much. Anyone else care to offer a tribute? I didn't think that I would be saying anything today. I didn't trust myself. But with something was said this morning that reminded me so much, it's almost symbolic of Richard's personality. Richard was a fun person. He loved to make you laugh. He liked to play with your head. Which was a problem for me, because I guess I was a more serious type. And his dad never knew when he was serious and when he was not, which sometimes caused problems. But there's one thing that I just happened to remember this morning about him, like I said, is almost symbolic. When Richard was just an infant, okay, he was still in his crib. His mother and father had to switch off on jobs at that time. His mother would take care of him during the day, and I would take care of him in the evening, late in the evening, because sometimes I didn't get back from New York till the wee hours. And then I would go to his crib, okay. And the first time it happened, it was just downright scary, but he did it again after that. The blanket was over his head. Mom was asleep in a corner somewhere. And I saw that blanket, and it was totally still. I looked for breathing. Didn't see any signs of it. So I went tremorously to the crib, and I looked down, and I put my head down, down, Richard, Richard, Richard and we're almost nose to nose. And all of a sudden, the blanket would come down, and he'd go, <laughs> he'd laugh at me. And uh, like I said, he, he would do it. It became a game with him. And this morning, I'm thinking, okay, you're, you're going to get through this, Dad. Because Ricky is playing his game with me again. He just has the cover over his face. And when I see him, when I see him, 
in God's heaven. He's going to rip that cover from his face. And we'll be together again. God bless you, Richard. I loved you so. And I look forward to that day. Amen. Anyway, uh, Richard loved you as well, I can tell you. Uh, just a, a story about uh, Richard. We were looking for a hunting spot. We had 88 acres, and Rich wanted to come. So I said, okay. So it was a bunch of us guys. And um, my one buddy said, Richard, you should tie your boots. Never liked tying his boots. What was the swamp? Anyway, we did find a tree stand here and there, and we're like, where's Richard? And we saw him at the base of a tree sitting. It was probably, I don't know, it was about 40 yards away. I said, he probably lost the boot in the swamp. So, <laughs> but I was kidding. <laughs> anyway, uh, we went over, came down out of the tree stand, went over, I said, what's going on, Richard? I lost my boot in the swamp. <laughs> uh, my one buddy said, well, he was looking for it. He had to take off his pants and his other shoe. <laughs> and my one buddy took a picture, and that was his face page on his phone. <laughs> and he said, Richard, I love you, but I don't love you that much. I'm not going in there. <laughs> and they all, they all left us. I stayed with Richard. And I tried to help him. We never found that boot. And it took hours. When we were coming back to the car, the guys were back there. Shoo-wee! Shoo-wee! <laughs> so um, we were all very late. Uh, none of our wives believed what happened. Because then we went to Kmart, bought them a pair of boots, and uh, went to Burger King. And my, my wife's like, yeah. Did you guys rehearse that story? And I'm like, hon, it really happened. I have the boot in my car. <laughs> I, I could never get rid of that one boot. But um, I, was, I was many things to Richard. I was his brother-in-law. I was his neighbor. But most of all, I was, my proudest was I was his friend. And I, I loved Richard. We had a great time. We... Um, to this day, we have Friday boys' night out, Friday nights. We were always at Richard's with little Haley running around. He had a pool table. We'd play cards, and uh, we, we just spent a lot of good quality time together. And um, I love you, buddy, and you'll be missed. And RIP. The words to an old hymn are on the screen. I invite you, if you would care to sing with me, to sing it. it speaks of God's amazing grace, which is the hope of all of us who are believers. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Oh, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind. 
The night before Jesus went to the cross, he joined his disciples for the Last Supper, for Passover at the time, what we now celebrate as communion. And at that meal, he informed them, as he had been doing for a while, that he would be leaving. Of course, they didn't understand that the resurrection would happen. They just were very sad. And he gave these words to those disciples, words which are a treasure to my heart. Found in John's Gospel, the 14th chapter, he said, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms, you may have heard it this way, many mansions. But we're not so, I would tell you, for I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may be where I am. I love those words, they become precious to me. They become words of hope to me in my own loss, words that I cling to. It's helpful for us to understand the context of Jesus' words. In my father's house are many rooms. He's referring to the ancient Jewish custom, particularly the well-to-do, that when the son reached marrying age, the son didn't, the son didn't do what we do, what our kids do, like you know, move off and buy a house in the subdivision or whatever. The family compound just expanded. Dad added on, and son went and got his bride and brought her home, and the family enlarged. And that's what he was saying. He said, I'm your father, and when you pass away, borrowing an image, there's just going to be a room added on, and it has your name on it. And I love that. There's peace in that. There's 
something that we can grasp that positive thinking alone cannot possibly give to us. Those words become even more accessible to me when I backdrop them against one of the most familiar passages of the Old Testament, the Shepherd Psalm, Psalm 23, where we read this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yes, even when I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If I could just share four points or four thoughts from that beautiful song of David. David was the shepherd king of Israel, drew on his own experiences as a teenager and young man, shepherding his father's flock. And he says, first of all, the Lord is my shepherd. He might have written the Lord is a great shepherd. He might have written the Lord is the shepherd of the world, but he didn't. David personalized it and he says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I have a relationship with him. That's the key to accessing Jesus' words. Trust in God, trust also in me. Don't let your heart be troubled to understand that he knows you. He knew Rich. He knows me. We're not a number. We're not part of a group. We're not just some race or tribe or nationality. We are known to him individually. What a wonderful thought. And he says, I relate to you as a shepherd. When I was a little boy... We lived in Iowa, and my father was a livestock dealer before he went into full-time ministry. We had several farms in northwest Iowa, and then we would travel. Well, I would go along. I was five and six years of age. We would travel to Texas and Wyoming where Dad would buy lambs that were just ready to be prepared for market and rail them to our farms in Iowa, and there they would be fattened and grouped by grade and weight and then when food fair or some other retailer from the northeast would call dad would gather up four or five hundred of those lambs and put them on a rail car and send them east but when we visited wyoming i had the astonishing experience of meeting real shepherds they were strange people my predominant memory is they smelled really bad They were from, you may or may not, may be meaningless to you, they were from the Bosque region of Spain. And they came to the United States where they served as shepherds. They had little rolling houses. They were living in tiny houses before tiny houses were a thing. And a horse and a dog. And they took their few hundred sheep, I don't know how many, and sometime when the snows broke, they took them out into the pastures and meadows of the mountains. And they lived with them until they brought them back in the fall, 24-7. One shepherd, one horse, one little house, one dog, or maybe two. My point with all that is those sheep became their life. They lived for those sheep 24 hours a day, seven days a week for several months. That's always fixed in my mind, and when I say, the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. I think of smelly Bosque shepherds. (laughs) Sorry, Lord. And mostly I think about the fact that they lived with their sheep. I don't know if they're still there. I haven't been back to that region for many years. The Lord is my shepherd. David says, when I walk in the darkest valley, when I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I, I won't be afraid. I don't know if you know much about domestic sheep, but again, I was raised around them. And domestic sheep are the stupidest animals on the planet. And a domestic sheep can get on its back in a little dip in the ground, and it will die there if someone doesn't come along and put it back on its feet. Um, They will stay in a pasture, and they will eat the grass until it's literally down to the roots and dies before they'll move on to the next pasture. That's why the shepherd has to keep moving them. They are virtually defenseless. Again, domestic sheep, not wild sheep, but domestic sheep. They're virtually defenseless. That's why they need a shepherd. But we saw, we know that those shepherds, they carried two things that David alludes to. He said, I won't be afraid because you were with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
but two different things. The rod was a short, defensive, stout stick, probably three feet, give or take, in length that could be used to beat off predators and do the things that needed to be done in defense of the sheep. But the one that really appeals to me is the staff and how I wish I had one. You probably have seen it in church imagery. A bishop often carries his staff. It's that pole that's longer or taller rather than he is with a crook in the end of it. That had a very specific purpose for sheep. If a sheep needed attention, if it needed its wool trimmed out of its eyes or parasites taken care of or whatever it might have needed, that shepherd would flip that staff around, hold it by one end, and use that crook to reach out and grab the sheep and pull the sheep to himself. Your rod comforts me because it defends me. Your staff comforts me because it's what you use to draw me to yourself in time of need. The Lord is my shepherd, I won't fear even when I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. And then he says something a little bit later in that psalm, which I love because it touches my heart. You prepare a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. What in the world? It could be almost an oxymoron if you translated it literally. I sit down to dinner on a battlefield. Nobody does that. My one brother was a Marine who served in Iraq, and he told me how they ate, huddled behind their tanks, eating MREs. <laughs> they didn't sit up to a table. They didn't spread a table on the battlefield. But God says, I'll spread a table for you in the battlefields of life. I love tables. I raised four kids. My baby's 42. My oldest is 46. When they were teenagers, there was an 11th commandment, which they hated. Thou shalt be at the dinner table at 5 p.m. You know what? I was a busy pastor. I had lots of meetings. I was local and active in our local community. I was the president of the Chamber of Commerce. There was lots that I had going, but people knew in town that as five o'clock was coming along, that Jerry would stand up whatever meeting he was in and he would go home because I had a prior appointment with four kids who also had to leave athletic practices early and their coaches all knew it and that's just the way life was. And for all the years that we raised kids, five o'clock in the afternoon was sacred hour, dinner hour. You say, well, what kind of control freak were you? I don't know. But I knew something about teenagers. They live in a world of shared stupidity. They pool their ignorance. They don't know anything about life. And if they're only talking to themselves, <laughs> they're, they're not fully grasping things. They needed to come home to an anchor point. They needed to come home to the place that was their source of identity. By the way, they complained about it, but they love our dinner table. If you, interview, if you talk to any of my kids today, they would tell you one of the most formative things in their character and who they are was the dinner table. And interestingly enough, their friends really thought it was cool to go to the priest's, that's what they thought I was, the priest's house for dinner. Because we talked about everything. We talked about money and girls and boys and sex and crazy stuff and God and evil and fun things and football, patriots, because we lived in New England. But out of that, they developed an identity. But most important, when they were going through their stuff, and kids go through stuff, don't they? Yeah, they go through stuff. There's hard things. There's breakups. <laughs> There's broken hearts. There's uncertainty. They could bring those home, and they would have a place to get settled down. The table was spread. They could retreat from the battle for life just for a little while, and for a half an hour or so, be reminded of who they were and what was true and that life would go on. A long illustration to say this, the Lord is my shepherd. He invites you and me in the midst of the battles of life, even as we deal with the issues of death, to come into his presence. And he said, there I will renew your understanding of who I am, what I've done, how much I love you. I'll help you to gain clarity in the midst of the confusion give you hope when there isn't any because I am your caring shepherd. I am your father. 
What a wonderful, wonderful thought to me. I hope it is comforting to you. And then he says this. And surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell, live in the house of the Lord forever. That's a promise. Nobody gets to go to heaven because they're good enough. If somebody told you that, they didn't tell you the whole truth. I'm not afraid to die. I don't like the thought of dying. (laughs) I spent a lot of time in the hospitals this summer dealing with all kinds of stuff. A couple of really serious things. I don't like the process of dying, but death itself holds no fear for me. Why? Because I'm a pastor? No. I don't think it's going to be checked at the gate that I was ordained for 45 years. Because I'm an especially good guy? No. I try to be, but I fail. My hope is centered in a person who is perfect on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for me and for you. And he extends that love and that acceptance of the Father to you, to me. We receive it by faith. It's free. The Bible calls it a gift of grace, which means something we didn't deserve and something we could never hope to earn. In fact, Romans tells us this, the wages of sin, what we earn, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a church membership. It's not whether you've been baptized, whether you've gone to the front and shook the preacher's hand. It's in your heart if you say, Jesus Christ, I understand my need, and I understand that you came to earth to build a bridge to the Father. By faith, I receive that hope. And surely, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a promise. So as we think about Rich and his death and as you grieve, Jesus says, trust in God, trust in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. And that can be real to you because the Lord is my shepherd and yours. Because he is with you, both your defense and your caregiver. Because he will give you what you need today if you will go to him and sit down with him in reflection. And by the way, contemplative prayer is what I mostly believe in. I believe that 99% of prayer is not what we say, but just the fact that we show up. (laughs) This sanctuary where I've served in ministry for so many years is full of my prayers in very few words, mostly just showing up. In fact, I freaked a few people out because my favorite posture of prayer is laying flat on my face. And people who don't know that come in here and see me laying on my face on the carpet and think that I just croaked. (laughs) Show up. He'll give you all that you need. And lastly, he promises life for eternity. Father God, we pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the work of our Lord Jesus Christ that you would make plain to us promise that you are our shepherd that you can guide us into eternity and that you would fill the hearts of those who grieve with hope in jesus name amen okay i thought there was a song that was coming up here just a second This was a song that Richard's dad requested. It's there somewhere. There we go.
What a beautiful carol. Thank you for requesting that, Richard. I would invite you to sing with me the words of this song, and I had the slides out of order. I apologize. When peace like a river, it's our closing hymn today. And as we sing it together, I pray that God's peace, that the great shepherd will touch your hearts. And 
fly to Jesus and live. Would you stand? Let us pray. And so, Father, enable us to commit Richard to your care, to trust your mercy and grace, to place our faith in a love that is beyond human comprehension. May the peace of God find our hearts. May the love of Jesus Christ preserve us. May the comfort of the Holy Spirit surround us. This we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for the opportunity of sharing with you. You are invited to move to the cafe where I understand there's going to be food prepared and you can continue your stories and your reflections. Thank you for the privilege of speaking to you today. Lord bless you real good. Thank <laughs> you.